Today on the podcast, I talk with Landria Seals-Green. She is a speech-language pathologist and board-certified behavior analyst. She's had some really amazing clinical experiences that she shares with us. We talk about the importance of listening to families, an inspiring episode where she shares information about students and clients that she's worked with, how to dream big for our clients, and you're going to want to tune in. If you're feeling kind of like, blah, end of the school year, she's got you right here. This is a great episode for your SLP heart and family heart. Make sure that you tune in. Let's start that music. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks for joining us on episode 18 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin. I am here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have Landria Seals-Green. Thanks so much for joining us, Landria. It's nice to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I know we kind of have met and kind of been in some same circles because you're a fellow SLP BCBA. And we actually did this really cool thing on Monday on Clubhouse, which is a new app. If you haven't heard about it, it's all audio. So we hopped on there and we did a room and we talked to people about intervention. And that was really fun. So I feel like we've been chatting twice in one week. So I'm super excited to have you back on. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey into being an SLP and BCBA? Oh, wow. Okay. I am uh, 20 years plus in the field, a little bit over that 20. And I would probably say my career really started in Connecticut. I graduated from Northwestern University and I moved there and worked in the schools and then got a, I really wanted to work with adults. For for me in graduate school, I studied, I was on the neurology or neuroscience, uh, closer to the neuroscience track, and I really wanted to work with adults. And so in looking for my first job as an SLP, I just couldn't find a hospital job that I could justify that would give me the compensation that I needed to live really um, on the East Coast because I was moving to the East Coast. And I worked in Stanford Public Schools in Stanford, Connecticut. So it's 45 minutes out of New York City. And I worked with children who had more severe disabilities because I felt like that closely aligned with being a a medical-based SLP. And I quickly went into assistive technology and and because of the population, assistive t- technology, AAC, and kind of garnered a good name for myself in doing a lot of AT work and looking at learner profiles. And that's how I kind of was introduced to autism. And um, then I worked at the foundation school, which if you are anyone's familiar with East Coast, there's a lot of private schools focused on kids with specific like learning disabilities. So I worked at a school for kids who had autism and related disorders. And that's how I learned about behavior and all of those things. And Vincent Carbone was in town. 
a mm. parent sponsored. I went, he introduced verbal behavior as a concept. And I said, this is speech pathology on steroids. What are we doing? And mm. I wanted the whole team at the school to start doing verbal behavior. And it was, most of them were like, no, we're going to keep doing this, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, we were ahead of the curve. And then I just started taking the coursework uh, towards my certification. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I also heard... So when you heard Dr. Carbone, was it a one-day presentation, two days, or... Three. Was, oh, three. Oh, man. Three you beat day. me. I was two days. I remember I was working down in Austin as an autism facilitator, and I think I was in my coursework. And what was so cool is my supervisor... Her supervisor was Dr. Carbone. And I had the same moment. I just like listened to everything he said. I don't know if you got the printout of it. It was like this very large binder mm-hmm. book. You got that too. I still have it in my school-based position. And I just listened to everything he said. And I was like, oh yeah, uh-huh. That's right. I mean, it was just so good. And I remember I read Mary Barbera's book, The Verbal Behavior Approach, because I, I was going to work in a school system down in Texas that um, used that. I had already been exposed to ABA, and this is just another layer of using that to work on communication. But I also had that aha moment. Dr. Carbone's such a good presenter that he really drives home the point, and it, it's so good. So that's cool. So that kind of prompted you and inspired you to start your coursework for your BCBA. Well- I think my perspective was a little bit different. I thought to myself, wow, you know, because there's also the transcription that he does. And I thought, wow, speech pathologists have been transcribing since the beginning of time so that we can see, you know, exactly what a person is saying and how they're saying it. And I thought to myself, wow, if SLPs had this amount of time to provide this level of intensity, we could have the same results. So let me know what you know so that I can take what I know, transform it, and just be a better therapist. I was really interested in the method of collecting data. It didn't really shift the my perspective and creativity that I think I bring to therapy. It did shift how I collected data. I was more finite in my methodology and my analysis of how I looked at my how I looked at clients I worked with. But in terms of what I knew, I felt like my graduate school and my PD after that was very fulfilling. I just felt like this is something that I am that is coming around the corner. And in order for me to be the best kind of therapist and have that career marketability that I that I am that I think is important, then I need to have the certification. Oh, that's great. That's amazing. So were you able to find, did you have a supervisor that was there on site or did you have somebody that was remote or what did that look like for you? Uh, My supervision was a combination. It was difficult for me to find that sweet spot of supervision. So I fished around and I was able to get a BCBA. And then I found out that I could have an SLP BCBA work with me. And so I did. Oh, wow. Wow. That's really awesome. Because back then, I know now there's only about 450 of us, but back then it was probably considerably less too. That's really great. So how long long were you a speech therapist before you became a VCBA or how did that all work? Because you said you've been practicing about 20 years or so? 
a little bit over 20 years. I don't know the numbers anymore. I have to tell you. <laughs> and it's I always say that we're seasoned, I don't know. we're seasoned therapists. So it's, yes. well, it sounds like yes. you had such a great experience learning about AAC. And we have this great um, episode with Susan Berkowitz and she's been practicing about 40 years. So we did a deep dive on the history of AAC and how different it was when students had their own dedicated devices. And we were kind of reminiscing about how I was always like in touch with the customer service reps because I oftentimes had to mail things back. And I don't know if you had similar experiences, but I think that's the thing too with AAC is that a lot of people can be kind of afraid of it if you don't have a lot of students who are using it. I think the only way to really feel comfortable with it is to kind of get in there and see what's in the student's device. And um, would you agree with that? Or how, how do you kind of train staff to feel more comfortable with using a student's device in therapy? You know, if we could take a step back, uh, you know, how do we view the assessment and evaluate for appropriateness of a device? What kind of device? I was trained by, I think, so one of my, my last, what do you call that? Practicum was at Mm -hmm. the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. And that was, they renamed it after a past governor's uh, spouse, but it was the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. And they have a really robust AAC center in Chicago. And I, and also in my practicum, there's um, in Illinois, there is the special education school districts up North. And my supervisor, whose name was Andrea, and I was Landria, was the AT coordinator for the entire consortium of districts. And you know, when you are a practicum student, you got to get in there and do well. And so because she was the AT coordinator, I became the AT coordinator too. And I just remember throughout all of that, learning to not fit a device to a student, but to understand the features that they need and assess for features and then find the features that fit them. And so if you find features that fit the student versus a device, and the name of the device that fits the student, you will have a lot more ease of transition for that learner because the features fit them. And so I find now when we talk about AAC assessments, there people are saying, let's try this device. And let's try this device. And I keep thinking, no, 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 try, figure out the features that they will need and marry the features with the device. And then you can trial out things. But you know, no one wants to meet a different devices during the assessment phase and then have to switch and switch and switch. You really should find the features. So when we find the features, we're better able to explain the types of the specific needs that the student will have. Mm-hmm. And when you can talk about the needs and the profile of the learner moving away from the name of the device or the theory behind a device, because in, in order to date myself, I will say that I am pre-LAMP. I am oh, wow. before <laughs> I am before LAMP became a commercial product. I am I love the Vantage product, but I like the Vantage product because it really ties into that language literacy piece for AAC users more so than historically the Dynavox did. But I I remember one of my clients, his dad was the CEO of Dynavox. Long story. <laughs> and 
it was interesting to work with him. I mean, he was a private client. It was just interesting to work with him because there was the familiarity of the device because of the profession of the dad. Right? Oh, sure. Yeah. And then you had him and you were working with him and, you know, we are working on, there is no AAC learner that I've ever worked with that we worked on communication alone. We use that as a source of writing. We use it to, you know, hook up to the computer and make, put it on the computer. So when the kid you know, worked with his language arts or whatever language tasks he was given in the, in the classroom, hooking those two things up, teaching that child how to edit, you know, hosting social groups and having kids with AAC devices gather around mm-hmm. and talk about which videos we like. Do we like it or do we diss it? Because it's really important that social communication piece is really important. You know, our clients need to have better social currency. If they don't, then what is, what is this all for? Oh, I love that. I did this whole lesson. Um, it was like a month long thing where I had middle school students and we learned about different genres of music. It was like the perfect group because I think I had four or five students. So it lended itself to like a longer, like four or five weeks. So each student was actually just kind of inherently kind of into their own different type of music. And these students really liked music. And so what we did is I would made a little PowerPoint for each genre. So each week we would go over for speech group because I did like a traditional type of group in the classroom, but we had a smart board. So it was like really nice. And I would talk about that type of music and then I would play them samples and then we would vote, you know, like, do we like it? Is it thumbs up? Is it thumbs down? We even, we had, it was really nice. I I work in a very nice district. So we were able to have iPads in the classrooms. And so I had our tech person add Spotify and Pandora. So we were, you know, the students were getting to orienting to the app. This is a, a long time ago. So it was like kind of newer to have those types of things. And so they would kind of, you know, type in what they wanted to listen to. Then we would kind of listen to it as a group and we would vote if we liked it or not. So I think that's so cool to be able to work on those types of things. I think sometimes we get kind of you know, thinking about we we obviously have to make sure that we're working on all, all the IP goals, but those are really the things that matter. And that's what we should be working on are those types of social engagement things that are super highly motivating. I haven't done that in a while because I haven't had students that really loved that type of stuff, but it was fun. So when you bring that up, I've totally done groups like that. So that's oh, cool yeah. to have all those students participate. Yeah. Let's write some measurable IEP goals that matter, that right. really matter. My perspective is a little bit unique. I just figure if I'm going to be doing treatment all day, then I need to make it as entertaining and engaging for me as it is for the clients. Otherwise, I won't enjoy my job. <laughs> so we we all need to have fun all day. So we would, I would get out the projector. We would play videos on YouTube. So I would play like Jennifer Lopez or I would (laughs) play, you know, whoever. And the parents would have, you know, if their same age peers are listening to this and being exposed to this, then I need my, I need clients that I work with to also have a a similar level of exposure, you know, barring, you know, you know, you want it to be E for everyone, right? Right, In terms of the rating. But if Bruno Mars and Cardi B have a song and they have a video <laughs> right. and they should hear it and they should decide if they like it. And so what I would do is, is shine a red light on their devices. So they, you know, there's the rhythm of communication that's important too. It's not mm-hmm. enough that 
they learn to label and tact and and talk. Their communication has a rhythm. And so they've got to be able to have this rhythm. Otherwise, you know, your your same age peer says hello. And if it takes you three seconds to respond, they're off and gone to something, gone on to something else. So teaching that rhythm of communication of response is as important as it is to teach them to tag and to label and to respond to a hello. Yeah, no, that's important. I I like that. That's very, very true. I definitely have had students where we have worked on just because I tend to work with the bulk of my caseload are students that are older. So thinking about those soft skills with employment. And I had one student a while back who had an AAC device and they would use it great, you know, in a structured setting and, you know, were able to respond to greetings and initiate greetings. And this student was really in a lot of classes with typical peers. And, um, you know, the peers would see this student out in the hallway and you know, with all the commotion and like, you know, there's a lot of distractors, she wouldn't say hi back. And so we really worked on for an entire IEP cycle, just making sure to respond to greetings, because that's so true. You can have students who are really with the students and hanging with them, but we need to teach that kind of fluency. And I think you bring up a really good point. So you said you kind of have a different perspective, which kind of brings up, you know, so what what is your perspective with skill acquisition and communication development? Do you have a different way that you're approaching it or, you know, I knew you're using applied behavior analysis to work on communication skills. Do you use the VB map or what types of assessments do you like to use? Or do you use more standardized tests that we use in the kind of SLP world? Well, all of them. I use whatever, how a client presents, and then you figure out as a diagnostician and assessor, what tools will give you the best picture possible. So I'm familiar with them all, I'd like to think. And I utilize um, what is necessary to get a good profile, understanding that it is important to create the you create recommendations best based upon and treatment plans based upon the medical diagnosis and the diagnostic profile. So absolutely. But when we talk about treatment, we have to start to, um, I think, start to question ourselves. And while my approach is different, and I will say my approach is different in terms of I am a creative person. I am an out of the box thinker. And I appreciate that about myself. And, and I, and so when we, but, but it's like, it's still theory applied. It is still theory applied. But when we think about where are, where do we want our clients to end up? I always imagine myself walking into a store and have, and meeting the greeter. And I think to myself, was that person who's the greeter in an intensive therapy program? Mm -hmm. And if they were, is their family angry? Okay. Is their family angry? Okay, yes. about their employment or yes, absolutely. Because does does an intensive therapy program equal to being a greeter? Okay, you yeah. give me and think about it. If you if you walk into a store and the person is a greeter, and if for, from a uh, just from an optic standpoint, he's a greeter. Right. That's you just need to be able to say hello. Right. Do you need a card? And do you really need to have communication in terms of verbal? You can wave, you can right. you know, hand someone over a card. If that is the goal, right. if that is the job, right. does my intensive therapy program 
did it get them there or should it have gotten them, him to a different place? Okay. And, yeah, and my, I guess that's so individualized, you know, because I think some students, they may, that might be really like a dream for a student, right? If they have right. a lot of behavioral barriers or if there's just other things going on. So I mean, I sure. think it's quite individualized, yeah. Sure. But for the most part, are we teaching, are we working with families to make sure that all of the funds and the 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 services that have been rendered was that the dream right and did we ever talk about what the dream is and so you know not everybody my best in, best picture in in working with students who in the school for kids with with autism and don't get me wrong i understand severe behavior I have worked with learners with severe behavior. I remember the bruises and I mm-hmm. remember the headbutting and right. I remember that. But in the larger amount of, of cases, when we talk about the spectrum of services from early childhood to adulthood, are we really, you know, the philosophical match between the therapist and the parents is really important because if my philosophy is such that Everyone I work with is going to go on a vacational program that I'm going to program to that. Mm-hmm. If if my philosophy is that I am the bridge between what where they are now and what they can be, and I listen to families and I don't um, hush their dreams about their children, mm-hmm. I don't talk about. And we've we've all been in rooms where families talk about what their goals are, and we say in a in a before an IEP, after an IEP, I can't believe they want that for their child. But barring that, you know, we we teach to the philosophy. My mother is an educator, and she would always say that a child's education is as good as the the adult in front of them. Oh, well, yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. Right. And I, when I think that's such a good talking point is having parents as such an important part on the team. Like I talk about that a lot. Um, and that's one of the reasons I'm excited to start the podcast too, is that, you know, I call it outreach because I definitely think it takes a team. So I'm having a lot of you know, autism moms and a lot of different, you know, siblings of um, and autistic individuals and really just trying to get everybody's perspective. Because I think what's so important is that you need to make sure you have that ongoing communication with the team and with the parent, especially, you know, things that could be little, like I actually just did a, I don't know, COVID's kind of got to my brain, but now I'm on TikTok and I'm doing all these Instagram reels and things like that. It kind of, you said you're creative. I am creative too. Like I play the hard and I do all these things, you know, I think it's kind of like just how our brains are wired. But I did one about, you know, just things that we can do to incorporate parents as part of the team and something as simple as, you know, we have vision statements on our IPs, right? Where you said like, what is the vision that the parents have for for their child? Like, it's very important that that's something that they can share with the team. And that's something that we can celebrate. And we can say, how are we going to get there? What can we put in place so that we can help them achieve that dream so that they can and help to get where they're going. I think those are all really important things. And I think it's really important to make sure that parents feel that they're an integral part of the team and that they're being heard. Because, you know, sometimes, and depending where you work, I mean, I think your mom's, you know, saying there is probably pretty important. And we need to make sure that we're we're always striving to do better, right? There's that do better movement in the ABA field. But I think those are important things to talk about. Well, let let me say this, and I have t- um, a, a couple things. My children have gone to really good schools, 
and private and public. They've gone to really good schools. And that phrase of your child's education is as good as the person in front of them still applies. A story, let's call this person Lauren. And Lauren was on my caseload at some point in her life. And Lauren would say to people, you know, hi, Rose. And, you know, you'd say, hi, Lauren. And she'd say, how many stairs are in your home? Mm -hmm. How many windows are in your home? Mm -hmm. How many uh, doors are in your home? And it's, it's, it's odd, right? Right. It's just odd. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, Lauren, you know, I know that you are very interested in architecture. You see how we shift that? Right. Mm -hmm. I know you're very interested in architecture. However, first time meeting someone, and then, you know, we, we talk about perspective taking first time meeting someone, you know, you use a nice tone of voice. That's wonderful. And so we'd color that green because I would, would pull in Carol Gray conversation colors because we'd make the abstract more con- concrete. So mm-hmm. she used a nice tone of voice. So we write it in green pencil. And then we, I'd say, but how did the person feel? Do they feel comfortable or uncomfortable when you ask them about the stairs or the doors? Right. She would say, Miss Seals, they would feel uncomfortable. And I would say, is it your intent to make right. someone feel that way? And she's like, no. I said, okay, so let's figure out where we can put those questions. So I never told her not to say it. Right. It was about the placement of mm-hmm. where to say it. Because everybody's right. got to odd something to ask right. <laughs> someone. You just don't ask it on a first date. Right. And so, mm-hmm. uh, well, maybe you do. But, you know, and then speaking to her family, it's all, you know, she has this interest in, she has this interest in things and how they're built and architecture. And I said, you know, in order for her to have some authentic relationships, you know, we're going to have to find a woodworking class for her because that's where people talk about stuff like that. Right. And so that, you know, parents trust us as, as therapists and, you know, people are tired. So sometimes I'm going to need people who are on my side to help me dream. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think is important for us to do. So I would say, you know, you got, we got to find a woodworking class for her because that's where her people are. She's got to find her people and let's figure it out. And so they they go on this and this quest to find other people. So, you know, in in um, what is it, in Girl Scouts, at some point you mm-hmm. do a project. Right. So that's a point. So you find the other kids who were interested in things like that. And then you would just continue on to say, you know, how can we nurture this, this in her? So it's not that, you know, without that level of creativity, relationship and honest feedback and pushing towards her to find social connections that are authentic versus a best versus a buddy, Mm -hmm. um, then where, where she, she needed more connections and you kind of have to guide people to finding that because where is she really going to exercise that social finesse if not for those relationships. Yeah, no, I love that because I've had students too who have special interests and want to talk about things that maybe other people are not as interested in. And I think it's hard sometimes too when you're a school-based therapist, like if you have a small school district, you know, you may have student who has an interest and maybe it is actually kind of age appropriate, but maybe it's not. And maybe if you were in a larger district, maybe there would actually be somebody else who would potentially have that same interest. I think it's kind of hard because you're kind of bound by your environment 
environment sometimes, but I think giving parents those ideas. Um, and I think I've seen that too in my time in the field. You know, when I was starting out as a speech therapist, there were no things like autism friendly movies and autism friendly days at the theater and autism friendly story times. And I know it's based on your region. I know that we have a lot of people that might be living abroad listening too, and they may just not have access. Not everybody does to those types of things. But I think that has come along. And I, I like that idea of, you know, sometimes we may be tired. So having somebody help us kind of have that vision is really, really great. So kind of like the dream team to be able to, you know, help the student to to live their fullest life, to be their happiest. And to I love that idea and kind of helping people to get into situations and environments where those things would be accepted. And those are her interests. I think that's really, really great. Such great information. I loved hearing about your creative take on therapy. I think those are some really, really good take-home points. So the last question that I always ask everybody is, what is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to another professional or parent about working with students with autism? Well, I think that the advice that I would give for people who are in the field is understand that as you evolve, your professional identity will also evolve. And as we all grow, we have a responsibility to also protect the profession in terms of the ethical boundaries, in terms of the application of theory, and also the growth of how we can take what we know as behavior scientists and as diagnostic. Uh, speech sciences and language sciences, we take all of that and see how we can apply it to the world and make our and disseminate the science as well. So my best advice, well, additional advice is to find from a parent perspective is find people on your therapy team who are a philosophical match. Because when you going into the world of therapy is for some people, it will be a long road for them. Mm -hmm. And in order for you to thrive on that road, it is important that you find people who are a philosophical match. So the story that I gave about Lauren is as important as the story that we give about Jonathan, who is at the time nonverbal, but he loves to line things up. He can do math. He can do all of those things. And his vocal output is not yet, has not yet emerged. We can think about him too, in terms of, you know, neurodiversity, making room for him in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And does that look like engineering for him because he is so symmetrical and in his ability to, to do things, he is so orderly and figuring out when we treat people, what is the vision and the goal? Like what's the dream and figuring out what the dream is because therapy is expensive. Mm -hmm. And so in order for us to do our consumers, to do right, to do better by our consumers, we need to really be thinking about how we can influence and what's the end game and not poo-poo on the parent's dream that they have for their child. Yeah, I love that. Very powerful. Thanks for sharing that. So thanks so much for joining us today. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and your practice and just what you're up to? Well, 
I can be found on uh, social media. I am Landria Seals Green, but I can be find at the found at the SLP Guru. That is my social media handle. I am on the clinical leadership team at Blue Sprig Pediatrics, and we are a nationwide uh, therapy provider, pediatric therapy provider. And I really do believe in the um, clinical quality of services that we have. So you can always reach me there. Our website bluesprigpediatrics.com. Well, so those are some social media handles as well. And that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, make sure to check the show notes for resources we discussed. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. Remember to keep things fun and functional and I'll see you next time. Thanks, Landria. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.